This is Paul Nobles from Eat Reform, and I am sitting here with Dr. Susan Kleiner. And if you watched our last video with Susan and I, you'll notice that we are wearing the same clothes. We technically are making the two videos on the same day. Susan, uh, in case you don't know, Susan is a very sought after speaker as it relates to exercise physiology and just all manner of nutrition, sports nutrition. Um, she is a sports nutrition, uh, sports uh, dietitian. Well, actually, Susan, why don't I let you describe her? Hey, Paul, so it's fun to be here and to speak to your audience. Uh, yeah, I've been a, a high performance nutritionist and I say that instead of sports nutritionist because I have clients that come to me who say, well, I'm not really an athlete. Um, are you the right person to work with me? And, you know, they train five days a week and they they go to races and they do all kinds of things, but they don't self-identify as an athlete. So uh, and I work with people who are not necessarily professional athletes, but they are trying to perform at their best in anything that they do. I always say from the boardroom to the courtroom, to the bedroom, wherever you want to perform at your best. So yes, I'm a sports nutritionist, classically a high performance nutrition is my specialty. And uh, I've been doing this for 35 years, I figured out yesterday. So um, working with athletes at all levels of sport, at all ages, uh, and as I said, anybody who wants to perform at their best. So it could be airline pilots, it could be, you know, Moms uh, who want to get back in the game, dads who want to get back in the game, uh, kids in high school, all that. So that brings us to the topic of today, which is hydration, right? And so what I think happens, especially when I see high school athletics or, or young people, is they tend to focus on just the water piece. And when we're talking about acute hydration, especially when you're sweating it out and things of this nature, water alone is not going to serve you well in that situation. And as a parent, um, you know, it would be something that would concern me greatly. Now, I live in Minnesota and it's the fall, but I do know I have, I have friends and family who live in the South and their sons are playing football or, or something outside, daughters in soccer, something of this nature, and they're dealing with dehydration issues. I, I was talking to Susan because um, I was at the Texas LSU game last week, and during the second half, the LSU players kept cramping up, and some of them started to take IVs, by the time you're starting to take IVs, the damage is already done. You should have been addressing hydration previous to that. And like I said, water isn't just going to get us there. And so um, Susan does have a bias. So she's going to explain to you her bias. And then we'll talk about, you know, just get her information because she's dealing with some of the biggest athletes in the world and then sort of, you know, the average person who just wants to be more active. So why don't you take it from there? Yeah, so um, when it comes to hydration, fluid isn't the only factor that matters. And so um, what Paul is talking about 
is, is some of these other things. Uh, electrolytes, a lot of people know, carbohydrate also makes a difference. And so um, on behalf of complete transparency, you should know that I actually work with a carbohydrate supplement company. I think it's the best carbohydrate supplement in the world. It's called Vitargo. You can look it up at vitargo.com, V-I-T-A-R-G-O. I am Director of Science and Communications. So you will hear my bias on Vitargo, but it is a completely evidence-based, research-based product with all of the claims uh, fully studied in independent universities uh, and published data. So. And to be fair, there are other drinkable carbohydrates. Like it's not that he's, you know, being a proponent of this one particular product that doesn't exist anywhere else, right? But we are going to go over why Gatorade, as an example, might not be phenomenal as it relates to hydration. So why don't we go there? Yeah. So, um, well, you know, it, it, when you bring up Gatorade, to give them their due, they started the story, right? I mean, uh, so, so, and the story starts with why isn't water enough? And water isn't enough, especially in the heat, especially when you're working hard or at altitude and dehydrating rapidly, is that while the water will get into your bloodstream, it's going to come right back out. You're going to it out. Nothing's going to hold it in. We need the sodium, we need electrolytes to help process it through your kidneys and, and recirculate it again rather than dumping it out. So, so that's the electrolyte side, just to begin with, not to mention that the electrolytes help usher the fluid from your gut into your bloodstream. Now, carbohydrate will do the same thing. Glucose uh, will do the same thing. Uh, any kind of carbohydrate will also enhance the movement of fluid across the intestinal membrane into the bloodstream. Um, and when you have carbohydrate around, it not only just hangs out in your bloodstream, which is nice, it actually gets to your muscle cells where you need it for metabolism to happen while you're exercising. So the, in order for energy metabolism, protein metabolism, fat metabolism to move forward, you need water there. It is an integral part of every single energetic reaction in your body. And so it needs to get into your muscle cells. And the way it does that predominantly is because you have carbohydrate coming in with it. Now, what's interesting is we have sugar and then we have starch, um, which is the basis of Vitargo, a very unique starch. Well, the beginning of Gatorade was showing that you could rehydrate a heck of a lot better and perform better because not only were you adding electrolytes to water, you were also adding a, a small amount of energy and enhancing that movement with the sugar uh, across the membrane and into the muscle cell. However, if you want to really fully fuel high intensity exercise, sugar becomes too concentrated in your gut and it actually draws fluid from your bloodstream back into your intestines rather than going the other way where it's supposed to go. It's going backwards to maintain the concentrations on either side of those membranes 
can I can I interrupt just a second because I think that there there is every person has experienced what you're talking about, right? So what she's talking about is that feeling where it's like sloshy in your stomach while oh, like gut rot. Yeah, right. <laughs> where you know it feels like wow, there's like waves in my body and it's not absorbing. It's sitting on the outside of the cell and it's making you uncomfortable. And so, you know, I always make the argument for a little bit of dilution. But uh, I think one of the things that, that Susan is talking about here, um, you know, on the one hand, you have Vitargo or some other drinkable carbohydrate. Um, and then on the other hand, you have electrolytes, right? You can combine those two, and I would argue that they're much more effective when you do. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, because when you combine them, you not only are getting the fluid into your bloodstream where you want it to go, and it stays there. You're not just peeing it out because there's no electrolytes that you've added with it. But the other side is it's getting into your muscle cell. It needs to get also into your muscle cell for you to be fully hydrated and be able to work, continue to work hard because your muscles can become dehydrated, but your bloodstream still has enough fluid. Or as you were saying, Paul, the the fluid is floating around in between your cells and it's not getting in. So what, what she's saying that I think is really super important here is that if you're drinking after you're starting to feel symptoms, it's already too late, right? right? You, you have to drink before you're thirsty. Because what, what it, if you you have your little Johnny or your little Susie, and she is out there doing her thing or he's out doing his thing, and they're not hydrating beforehand, they're going to run into problems, and then it's a little too late to deal with it. And so try and stay ahead of hydration rather than get behind, because when you get behind, that's when cramping and some of these issues start to happen. Um, and so so that, I think, is really important. The other thing that I, I wanted to talk about, and, and people think we're harping on it, and I don't really feel like we are, um, but I think it's something that is important to this, this discussion, is that the... We, and we, we talked about this a little bit in last week's Sunday with Susan. I don't think we actually mentioned that this is Sunday with Susan episode two. But anyway, so, so what happens is, and, and this is sort of the thing that's, that's happening right now within um, exercise where there's a lot of people that are trying low carbs and trying to see if they can, you know, somehow hack everything and, and they can be low carb most of the time and then put some strategic carbs around their workouts. The problem that you run into in that scenario is, is that inherently when you are low carb, high fat, you are making your body, you're kind of doing it to yourself where your body is less efficient with carbohydrates. And so the way to kind of get around that, I'm going to have Susan sort of talk to that because I think that if you're, if you're kind of holding to 30 grams of carbohydrates or 50 grams of carbohydrates, you're kind of you're missing kind of the the bigger picture there, right? And so strategically, 
they would be able to get away with a little bit more carbohydrates if they were active and they would get more out of their activity. Is that correct, Susan? So, um, you know, this whole idea of periodized nutrition, I have been doing for about 30 years. And, and so if you are low carb, high fat, you can do moderate intensity exercise, uh, low to moderate intensity exercise very well. You don't need a high amount of carbohydrate to do that. But if you want to do a high intensity workout and you don't fuel yourself with carbs, you will feel like you're working out real hard, but you won't. You will hit sort of a plateau and you won't, like I said, your perception is that you've hit high intensity, but if we measured your watt output, your actual work output, it would not be high. So what we can do and what I do with my athletes is fuel with carbohydrate right before that workout, about an hour before. And so um, if you do that at least twice a week, we think, and there's not a lot of research on this, this is much more the art of sports nutrition and practice versus the science. We have one published study, uh, which is really, you know, not a lot of data, that you can keep those transport proteins that we talked about in last week's Sunday with Susan, you can keep them being manufactured. And so you can be low carb for your food intake, but at least twice a week, you fuel yourself with carb before you go into your workout so that you give yourself both carbohydrate in your bloodstream, you hopefully have gotten some into your muscle cells, and maybe your liver glycogen is not terribly low because maybe after your workout, you also, the carb that you eat, you eat then. And so you get your liver glycogen up a little bit, your muscle glycogen up a little bit, and yet you are still kind of living the low-carb lifestyle. And even some keto athletes believe, and they are testing themselves, that they don't go out of ketosis because they just burn that carb right off during that high-intensity workout. So, so th this cycling that you've been doing and need to perform, actually you can do that on a micro scale um, but if you don't take any, any carb and then all of a sudden throw it in, um, you won't be able to access it because you've downregulated all your enzymes that you need for carbohydrate metabolism and you're going to feel like crap because you're going to get all bloated and uncomfortable and you're not going to process those carbs and you won't get a good workout anyway. So. So it's understanding this is why we have people with PhDs in sports nutrition. You may not want to do this completely on your own, or you might want to at least read about it to do it well. Now, the other way to do it is, is part of the way you do it and need to perform, which is sort of waves of, and lots of my athletes do that as well. They may have their weight loss phase, and they're not, it's not their high training phase. They're not looking for performance at that time of the year. They're looking to get the body composition that they require. And then they go into their performance training. If you are training for performance, if performance is what matters to you above all else, then being low carb is not the way to enhance performance. Now, my athletes, again, that I 
work with like the Targo because it's zero sugar. It's just starch. And so, and it's super fast emptying from the stomach. And so they know that when they are low carb, but they're pre-fueling three times a week, usually at least uh, high intensity workouts, that really is getting burned because we have the data to prove it. And I would like to point out that I have no dog in this fight um, in terms of Vitargo, not Vitargo, you know, there are all other carbohydrate drinks out there. When I am in a fat loss phase, I am not using Vitargo. When I'm in a performance phase, I do use Vitargo, right? And so it sounds like the least sexy thing on the planet because when people think of carbs, they think of things like, you know, beer and pizza and ice cream and many of which, by the way, have a lot of fat in them or like in the case of alcohol, sort of act as similar to fats, right? Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was alcohol as we sort of end this up because like I said, we're going to really try to stick this in short is that in the CrossFit community as an example, there's a heavy emphasis on um, rhabdo or rhabdo myelolysis or I, I don't know the lysis. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's always good to hang out with smart people. Um, but but I've always made the argument. So when I've seen people with rhabdo, there's usually three scenarios that it happens. One, they were drinking the night before, and they were dehydrated as a result. And then they overexerted themselves. I believe that there is a strong connection between low-carb eating also, where you're not hydrated. Once again, I'm not the scientist, but what I see is that those people struggle um, in this area, and I've seen instances where it seems to affect things. And then the other thing where rhabdo, and, and I'd love to hear your opinion on that or any science that you have, um, and then the third scenario, which is a very common scenario also, is that you try to come back too quickly and being more hydrated, better hydrated in those instances is going to help you and you just don't push it as much. Because I think what happens is that if you're coming back from a minor injury or something and you remember what you used to be as a CrossFit athlete and then all of a sudden you try to push yourself like that but your body's not ready that's where you'll start to run into problems. So if it's going to be too long, we could actually make this our own episode. But if you could kind of give the short version and then we'll shut it down. Well, one of the reasons that you associate Rabdo with CrossFit is because it's an environment where people push each other to go beyond their capability, right? And so we see this in football teams commonly, um, that the whole team comes down with it. And it is it's it's a it's the the ultimate overtraining of, you know, you've pushed yourself beyond what you you're, you're physically capable of doing. And it is it, it means the cells, the membranes of the cells in your muscles have kind of exploded and you get blood everywhere. Like you have blood in your urine and you've got, you know, a, you know, your kidneys are a mess and everything's a mess because you're cells have kind of exploded. And this does happen due to underfueling and and dehydration um, happening very rapidly and and not responding 
to the signals that your body is sending to you that you are overdoing this, you're overstressing your muscles. And so uh, that's typically what it is. It means you've way overdone your workout and, um, and it's dangerous. Um, you know, it can, people, people get very sick. They, they have a sense that they're paralyzed. They can't move because as I said, basically your cells are exploding. So to bring it back to the hydration thing, because that's what the topic of today is, I think it was the Iowa football team a couple of years ago all had this problem, similar to what Susan is saying. I think a lot of people might take a little bit of issue what you said with CrossFit. Um, and it's just the, just the culture. Yeah, yeah. You're, what you're saying is fact. Anyone being overly sensitive to it, um, I think they would say, well, we push each other past our comfort zones. What we're saying is, is that if you're not appropriately hydrated or you were out drinking last night, it's probably not a real good time to do Murph, right? Right, right. Drink right. Right? right. Because at the end of the day, you're, you're just putting yourself in a situation where you could potentially be harmed. And I think if you're a parent and you're listening to this and your child is playing football or your daughter's playing soccer or something of this nature and – there's not appropriate hydration where electrolytes are, are being consumed, where carbohydrates are being consumed. I would argue actually that, you know, there may be some case for like some salted nuts as a snack, right? Um, just from the standpoint of having a little bit of something in your stomach for these long workouts that sometimes happen in the summer. I think coaches are being a, a lot smarter than they used to be <laughs> i remember as a kid growing up in louisiana boy you know we had some we had some wild times you know yeah, coaches used to be you know no water breaks you know they yeah. didn't even water breaks you were you were a you know a, a, a wussy <laughs> you know right. if, you, if you stopped for water breaks and and uh, you know, be a man. And uh, you know, there's just I think I think you know those coaches are are on the wane. Um, and I think that the younger coaches have a much better education. They understand better. They also understand we have a pretty litigious society. And 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 parents are going to get after them if their kid is harmed. So, but it behooves the parent or the person exercising to take personal responsibility so that if this isn't being offered to you, take, take it on yourself. It's up to you to make sure that you are full, that you have plenty of fluids on board, that you, that you are including electrolytes if it's hot outside um, and, and that you're adding carbohydrate. If you're, you know, if you're training for more than 90 minutes, these are the issues. Electrolytes may not be important for several hours, but the problem is if you train for several hours in the heat and then add electrolytes, as Paul was saying, it's too late. It's cumulative. Dehydration is cumulative. You can't catch up. And it, it, once you're dehydrated, it can take 48 hours to, with food to fully rehydrate. So, so have a plan. Know what your 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 fluid plan is, just like you have a food plan, just like you have a financial plan, just like you have a career plan. You must have a fluid plan. Understand how frequently and how much you're going to be drinking and what's going to be in it. So I'll just kind of throw my last pitch um, for 
what I think works best in a scenario where you're doing long endurance or you're sweating or it's long practices for the child or something like that. What I have found is that 20 ounces of water with a half a scoop of Vitargo and one nun tab is actually better than the standard recommendation. The standard recommendation would have would be more for intra-workout type of things where you're not doing having these huge sweating sessions and things of this nature, right? So um, that's my personal experience is that if you're in the gym, you can stick to the standard recommendation on something like Vitargo. But if you're in kind of these huge sweating situations um, where you're doing something like Murph or your kid's doing something like soccer or something like football, you want to probably opt a little bit more for a little bit more water, kind of dose it down a little bit and make sure you have kind of some electrolytes in it. Um, mm -hmm. Any disagreement there? Well, it's very individualized. You know, how much fuel you need on board, your carbs, it's going to be, you know, everyone's got a different capacity. And as you become dehydrated, the more carbohydrate you consume, it, it, it will start to bother your stomach. So you don't want to become dehydrated. Uh, you know, runners, you know, the most elite runners we have to really work with and we can train them actually to compete more dehydrated than we prefer because elite marathoners are not going to stop. They're so fast, right? They're finishing a marathon in just a little over two hours. They'll say, I don't really need to stop and drink. I'm just going to run to the finish or I don't need to refuel. I'm done in two hours. So you have to go in hyperhydrated. You know, that's a whole nother concept. Make sure that if you're out in the heat, all day long and all night long after that event that you are really drinking and it isn't necessarily just water you can have water plus food it doesn't have to be electrolyzed water you can have but right. but eat drink um eat foods that are full of water fruits and vegetables uh yeah. you know drink soup <laughs> you know? Just have to be, walk into it with a strategy Yes. You know, if you're, if, once again, we really started this from the standpoint of children, right? As a parent, your child is not going to know that they need to have a plan in these instances, so you have to put the plan in place for them. Okay. Right. So, Susan, why don't you say goodbye or any final last words, and then this went way longer than it normally would, but it was a lot of good information. You know, um, it's not black and white, and so hopefully um, we present a little bit of the nuance and it helps people really apply it in their lives. All right, so that's Sundays with Susan. Episode two is a wrap. I appreciate everybody listening, and we'll talk to you later. Bye now. Thanks.